0: All right, so before you get too comfortable in your seats, we're going to do something this morning uh, a little different. Um, What I'd like you to do is to take two minutes, find someone around you that doesn't know this, but I want you to take a minute for yourself and tell someone something memorable that has happened in your life. And then, we're doing this for two minutes, leave enough time that after your minute is up, they can then tell you something memorable. Go. I already know. How we doing? Need another minute? All right, you have one more minute. All right. Are we good? How about this? If, if you are not able to finish your memorable event, finish it at the picnic. How about that? So, all right. So thanks for uh, indulging me in this exercise. I was uh, thinking about this earlier this week and my first thought was, oh, maybe people will feel awkward and not want to, but it sure sounds like you didn't mind at all uh, sharing something. Um, Did you find it easy? I I think you did because I gave you no warning. I said go, and within seconds, the room was full of noise. So you were saying something. Um, Maybe it was something that you heard before, um, but maybe not. Um, How about the details? Did you find yourself learning something new about someone? And the person sharing with you, because it was a memorable event, did they, did you find that they were able to share details that you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's interesting. You know, because it was something from an experience that meant something to them and they, it's not like, well, I I don't know what I wore last Thursday because who really cares what you wear last Thursday, right? Did you find as the listener you could follow along well because the person was able to clearly share what was going on? The reason why I had you go through that exercise was to show you that it is easy, easy enough to communicate something that we hold important to our lives. You just proved you can do it. And we do it all the time in different ways. We share about a vacation or a trip or uh, a memorable event like how you met your spouse or your wedding day or when your children were born or the places that you've moved or big changes in your life. In many ways, whether we realize it or not, we are storytellers. We are. It just has to grab us. You know, I I can get really excited, not so much anymore, but I can get really excited about a good golf shot. They don't happen that much anymore, but (laughs) when they happen, it's amazing. And I can tell people about it and be super excited. And whether or not they care or not, I'm excited. And they're like, okay. But if you have something memorable to share or good news to share, it's something that you want to communicate. And yet, when it comes to the most memorable event in human history, the event that has forever changed our lives, we, the people of God, we, the ones who should be sharing it the most, often become the most silent. Listen, the good news of Jesus isn't just lowercase g good news. It is capital E, capital O-O-D, capital N-E-W-S, good news. It's not news like, oh, it's a sunny day or we had a nice picnic. It's the best news ever kind of good news. And I think sometimes that word good misrepresents the amazingness of the news because we use the word good in terms of good, better, best. But good news, the good news of Jesus changes everything. It brings dead people alive. It's well documented that throughout church history, the church as a whole has not done well with proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, I, I can't remember the exact percentages. Um, it's too too much in my mind. It, it's well over fifty percent. I know it's. A, I, I'm guessing it's a lot higher. But the actual percentage of people that will never lead someone into a relationship with Jesus Christ is well over fifty percent. We're talking about believers. As we have heard throughout our worship service this morning, at least four other places, four times in the Gospels and one time in the book of Acts, Jesus commanded his followers to tell others about him. He commanded them. He didn't give them the option. He didn't say to them, hey, guys, if you feel like it, guys, if it works out with your schedule, guys, if the persecution is calming and you you feel like you're in a better place no he just commands his followers to tell others about him and notice that he commands his followers to tell others about him he doesn't command an organization to tell others about him he commands you and me together in the body of christ And so what I would like to do this morning is encourage you to see the value and responsibility that you have as a member of God's eternal household to tell those who don't know the good news, the good news. And not only that, help those who know the good news grow in their relationship with Jesus. First, what is the good news? I mean, if that's our message, if that's the message of God's household, if that's the purpose of why we're here and gathered and collected the way that we are, then what is the good news? And you might say, well, the good news is the message of Jesus. OK, well, that's great. That narrows the focus based on all the other kind of good news that there can be. But really, what is it about Jesus that is truly good news for a world that is lost? So I didn't have any time this morning to put slides together. Um, Usually I color code things in my sermon. The yellow is what shows up on the screen. Just so you know, I was planning to show you these things. I'm not going to be able to this morning. Um, But just very simply in a a sentence um, or two, I put together just a brief summary of what the good news is now. You can take me to task on semantics of word order on certain things, but really, um, I think this encapsulates what we need to be all about in sharing what good news is. Good news, the gospel, is that a holy God sent his perfect son to pay for mankind's sins on the cross by dying as our substitute so that we might turn from our sinful ways through faith in Him and be raised to new life because Jesus has been raised to new life. That's the message of the Gospel. A holy God who stepped into humanity through His Son, Jesus. And He came to us because we were lost and dead in our sins. And that perfect Son came for a purpose to die on the cross for our sins as our substitute so that by faith in Him we might turn away from our sinful selves and turn towards a holy God and receive the gift that Jesus has provided. And as we do, we are raised to new life in Jesus Christ. Church, that's the good news. That's it. Seriously, it's that simple. And I, and I say it that way because we need to keep the main thing the main thing when we're sharing the good news. We often get distracted. We get in sidebar conversations like, what happened to the dinosaurs? It doesn't matter what happened to the dinosaurs. It has nothing to do with the gospel. It has nothing to do. How about Bible translations? That has nothing to do with the gospel. Nothing. And when we look at people and say, "Oh, you you read out of this version and you have this version." It doesn't matter. The good news is the good news of what Jesus has accomplished. Here's the great thing about all the other side conversations that we want to have concerning the faith. When people get the good news right, when they believe in the good news of Jesus Christ and they are changed from death to life and they are adopted into God's family, put in God's household, fit as living stones into what God is building, everything else falls into place. But we want to correct all the behaviors, all the wrong thoughts, all the other thinking first and say, you get that figured out first, and then I'll tell you about Jesus. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is come to me and believe. And when you believe, God changes everything. He gives us a new heart, a new spirit, a new life and a greater purpose. We need to keep the good news the good news. I would say that the best thing that you can do in being a person who has believed in the message of the gospel, the simplicity, the beauty of the gospel message, the best thing that you can do to make yourself more available to share the good news with someone else. And remind yourself of the wonderful, amazing grace of the good news is that you preach that message to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Now, what do I mean by that? Some of you have heard me say this before. But what I mean by preaching the gospel to yourself every day means it helps you to remember where you came from. While also encouraging you with what God has graciously given you. You were once dead and you've been made alive. You've been forgiven, restored, joined with God forever as a member of his family. When you preach the good news to yourself, you remind yourself of the amazing grace of God. And what you do in preaching the gospel to yourself is say, oh my gosh, I was a dead person who was made alive. And as I have been made alive, I want others who are dead to be made alive. And what I have inside of me isn't just for myself. But it's so that God would use me to be his mouthpiece. To go to other people, whether I know them or not, whether I love them or not, and share with them the good news. That can change their life. So, now that you have a basic understanding of what good news is, what do we do with it? Well, that's where the text from Matthew 28 takes us this morning. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 28, we're looking really at the final verses of this wonderful gospel. We have a message, it's a life saving, life altering, life changing message. Listen, everything that Jesus says for his disciples to do is not rooted in, hey, come to church. It's not that kind of invitation. Sure, go ahead and invite people to church. I I hope you do. We'd love to meet them. But our call isn't, hey, come to church. Our call is, can I tell you about Jesus? Can I share with you about his love and his grace? And his forgiveness. Because it's that message. That restores dead people to new life. And it's the responsibility. Of God's household to share that message. It's not the pastor or the elders. Sole responsibility to do that. It's not. Well you know once I get to church this long. And serve in these kind of ministries. Then I can be a gospel sharing person. Frankly. If we're honest with ourselves, you know who make the best gospel witnessers? New believers. That just found life with Jesus. Why? Because there's a reckless abandon about the love for Jesus that they have. That sometimes when you like just over time. You get to the point where you come off of that spiritual mountaintop where you're like. Yeah, Jesus is great and wonderful, but, you know, I'm going to stay in my lane over here. New believers are an amazing testimony of the grace of God and the power of the gospel. We talked about this several weeks ago when we began this series, but God's household is built with living stones that represent every believer who has ever come to faith in Jesus Those who are on the earth today that know who Jesus is as Lord and Savior have a responsibility to share the message that they have received when they entered God's household. Here's the thing about the alarming statistics about the lack of really conversion opportunities that we have as believers of Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know Jesus because somebody told you about Jesus, And if you say nothing to anyone moving forward, what you're saying is, that message was good for me, but it's not good for anyone else. And the opportunity that exists in the multiplication of people that know Jesus is diminished when we hold that message in. And so Jesus commissions us. He commands us. He calls us. And this is what we see in Matthew 28. We see a resurrected Jesus giving final instructions to his followers. This final charge becomes the rally cry of all those who belong to him. It's been said in different ways, as we have heard this morning through the New Testament. But Jesus expects that his disciples will be spirit empowered witnesses to share the message. That he has for them to share. But as we look at Matthew 28, we want to see something of great importance for us. Really the strength of the message we share and the goal of why we share it. Unfortunately, we mostly only hear this message from Matthew 28 when a missionary comes to visit or... Maybe a church is focusing on missions, endeavors or evangelistic kind of events, those kinds of things. And and we throw in Matthew 28 and say, oh, we're just obeying Scripture. Well, I would say to you, every moment of your life should be led in obedience of what Jesus says in Matthew 28. Not just special times of the year, not just, you know, when we're sending someone out who is forsaking their worldly perspective of things and embracing a call to serve in vocational ministry. But really for all of us, wherever we find ourselves, we are God's ambassadors. And, and I want you to notice something. Just one more thing. And it's in your bulletin. Um, the, the verse on the top left-hand side from Daniel chapter 7. Uh, Daniel chapter 7 is uh, an amazing passage. Um, I don't have any time to even comment on it because it's so unique and diverse in in the instruction that Daniel gives, or really that God gives through Daniel. But within Daniel 7, you have an interlude of what is happening at the end of time as God is bringing all things together. And he says that... The ancient of days will appear. And the ancients, ancient of days is the Lord Jesus himself, and he will appear. And this is what we read about him. In Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And his, his was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom. And notice this, right? So like at the end of time, when Jesus is presented and all things will be given to him, this is what we read will be a part of that presentation. That all peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Uh, Do you catch that Old Testament perspective of what is going to happen at the end of time? All people from all nations and every tribe and tongue will be presented as a part of his kingdom, will be under his dominion. So what does that tell me? That people from around the world that don't know will need to know what is true about the king when he comes so that when he comes, they are presented as subjects of his kingdom. And so built into the Old Testament when we think, oh, that's just for the Jewish people. No, God has a larger vision than just a holy nation named Israel. God has a larger vision for a world of people gathered to him that belong from every tribe, tongue, and nation that will love and follow Jesus Christ. And the great thing about it is that when Jesus stepped on the scene with the good news of what he was offering on the cross for our sins, Jesus didn't say to his disciples that it's only for the Jewish people no, he said to them, hey, start locally in Jerusalem, but you're going to go to Judea, Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the world. And as the gospel goes forward and people believe, they are brought into God's household. And when Daniel 7 occurs, when Jesus returns, all of those people are brought in to the kingdom. And we see the fulfillment of that. But here is what I don't want you to miss. The reality of Daniel 7 is contingent upon our ability to go therefore into all the nations and share the gospel and make disciples. You're a part of God's plan to build His kingdom. And so that we have Matthew 28. And let me read to you what Jesus says. Verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. I just want to stop there at verse 18. Uh, If you're an artistic person and you, you don't think it's a sin to write in your Bible and it's not a sin. You can write in your Bible. In fact, do it. uh, Draw a little crown around verse 18. Or you can just say, if you're not an artist, underline it and write Jesus is King. Because this this instruction, this truth about who Jesus is, is the strength that is behind the command that he gives. So he's talking to his disciples. His disciples are afraid. Jesus, what's going to happen next? We watch, do you die? Oh my gosh, you're resurrected. That's amazing. Oh my gosh, you're leaving again? And Jesus says, take comfort. Because I'm going to go, but when I go, the Spirit's going to come and empower you. And as the Spirit empowers you, you're going to do things that will change the world. And he roots everything that he says in the command of verses 19 and 20 based on the truth of verse 18. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Plainly said, Jesus is the king. And as king, he possesses all authority everywhere. Jesus is the king in heaven and on earth. He is the sovereign ruler of all people and all creation are in subjection to him. That's what Pastor Dustin taught a few weeks ago from Colossians 1. That Jesus is the true king of the creation. But don't miss this. Jesus is reminding his disciples before he gives them the command that he's the king. And what he is saying is, guys, I'm going to require you to do something that will cause you to do things that you never thought were possible. You will say things that you never thought you could. So remember that as you listen to my words, you listen to the words of the one who is the rightful king of the universe. Here's what you need to know if you have any hesitation in what it means to share the gospel, the good news with someone, whether it's fear, whether you're not sure of how it's going to be handled, whether it means there's going to be pushback on you, whether it means you're not going to be liked. Whatever the case is, whatever question you have, when Jesus gave the command, he says, I also give you my power. And what you say is rooted in who he is, not rooted in who you are. And you have great authority as an ambassador of that king to say things to people that they need to hear. And you don't need to fear of how it's going to be taken, how it's going to be handled, what pushback is going to come, whatever is going to be said. What you can know is that you speak with the authority of the king. And the king wants to rescue his people. Church, when we obey the words of Jesus in the Great Commission, we rely solely on the authority of who Jesus is as the King of all. You cannot fulfill the mission of Matthew Matthew twenty-eight verses nineteen and twenty without first resting on the truth of verse eighteen, that all authority is His, that He's the King. This is what motivates us. Whatever the king wants us to say and do, he will cause it to be accomplished. Now the goal is found in verses 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, it begins with a therefore. Now, some of your Bibles, like the New American Standard, says go therefore. But really, it's therefore. The therefore comes first because it's rooted in verse 18. All authority has been given to Jesus as a result of all authority being rooted in Jesus Christ. What does Jesus say? I'm the king. Go. That's what he's saying. So what is where is he telling us to go? What is he telling us to do as we go? Go. Make disciples. We're to make disciples. That's the mission of God's household. Make disciples. If someone ever asks you, what's the church about? Make disciples. That's what it's about. That's what we need to be doing. That's the mission. Notice the word disciple. Notice that Jesus didn't say, make converts. He said, make disciples. So what is a disciple? You know, when we first thought about what's the gospel, what's the good news? Okay, we know the good news, but what's a disciple? Simply stated, a disciple is someone who brings someone into a relationship with Jesus bring someone into a relationship with Jesus. It was used in terms of a student who is following their teacher. In the 1st century world as Jesus, uh, Jesus said these words that there would be students of rabbis. And and there were rabbis teachers all around in the Jewish community in the 1st century world, and all of those rabbis had students that followed their teacher. And those students that followed their teacher were called disciples. But in this context, when Jesus says, go and make disciples, what he is saying is, go and multiply people that will follow me. In the first century Jewish world, there was a proverb that went like this. May the dust of your rabbi fall on you. And what that meant was you were walking so closely... To your teacher that the dust of their sandals would be all over you. Jesus is commanding that his followers make more followers. Yes, it first begins with an introduction to the relationship that begins with salvation. But it doesn't just stop there. In fact, salvation is only the beginning of a Christian's spiritual journey. The rest of that journey is what it means to be a disciple. Listen, some of you have the gift of evangelism. And what do I mean by that? Not only that you have this God-given ability to just talk to anyone about the Lord Jesus Christ, but I also think the gift of evangelism shows itself in having fruit. There's actual fruit. People respond to the message and they become introduced to life in Jesus. But it's not just about getting people into the house, Like, hey, thank you for the introduction. Now what? And we say, I don't know. You're in the house. And I think that sometimes that's what we do. We introduce people to a life with Jesus. They come in faith and believe in the gospel and God saving them from their sins and making them alive from being dead. And then we say, here you go. And they're like, okay, now what's next? And you say, I don't know. Figure it out. And we really don't know what we're doing. This command by Jesus, solely based on his authority to give it, is supported by three participles. Uh, what do I mean by that? Some of you kids that are in here, you can go in English class first day of school and say, I know what a participle is. A uh, participle, really, in this context, is a word that is used to modify the verb. The verb is to make disciples, that's the action. So what are the participles that Jesus says? Go, baptize, and teach. As you make disciples, that's the key. The mission of the house is to make disciples. How is it accomplished? First we go. Go where? Anywhere. The actual mood of that word go in Matthew 28 verse 19 really is the idea of as you are going in life. Wherever you find yourself. Here's the great thing about the opportunity that you have in being an ambassador of the King, Jesus. You have greater opportunities to reach people with the message of the gospel than I do. Where God has you in your community, in your workplace, with the people that are in your life. You have the opportunity to reach them with the saving message of the gospel better than any church program could ever reach them. As you are going in life, make disciples, baptize them. That word baptize is interesting. It's not interesting in, oh my gosh, I didn't know this. But it just simply means this. As you go and make disciples and people become believers in Jesus Christ, what is the next logical thing that you do? You get them to make an outward profession of their inward commitment. That's what baptism is. Someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ. What do you do? You celebrate it. You celebrate it in the community. And you say, hey, you need to be baptized. Why? Because Jesus said so. Well, what does it mean? It means that you are acknowledging that you are a follower of Jesus to the larger Christian community and to the world. As you go into the water, Paul says in Romans 6, it follows symbolically what Jesus accomplished in his death, being laid in the tomb and coming out of the water, being raised to new life. As you go in making disciples, you baptize people. Baptism doesn't save you, but it identifies you as a follower of Jesus. But it doesn't stop there. Really, the bigger picture of making disciples is in that final uh, participle, that final uh, supportive thought, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. How long will that take? The rest of your life. There is no term end on the schooling that is required to teach everyone who is a follower of Jesus, everything that he commanded us to teach. It doesn't just mean, oh, you went to Sunday school as a kid? Okay, you know it all. Oh, you taught Sunday school as a, as a young adult when you were excited about teaching and now not so much? Well, you know enough. Now, discipleship is more not what we do in this building, but what we do out there. And it's rooted in what we know to be true about what Jesus said. And what did Jesus say? Not just the red letters in the gospel, but all of this, because he is the living word. And when he says to his, his disciples, teach them to observe all that I commanded you. He's really. Implicitly saying to his followers, it is your job to shepherd people into the likeness of me in obedience to my word. Now, this is often what is missing in God's household. I mean, there can be other things missing, but we have a bunch of people who have begun a relationship with Jesus and salvation only to stall out at the front door of the house. They, you know, they're allowed in, they have entrance to the party, they belong to the house, they get in the house and they're like, what's next? And we're like, I don't know, read your Bible and pray more. That's not what it means to be a disciple. It means to follow the teacher, to follow his words, to apply them in your life and that you live different as a result. Listen, you don't live different first, then find Jesus. You find Jesus and he causes you to live differently under the ministry of what he has said. Making disciples means that we are focused on helping people who have found new life through the gospel to mature in that new life and become more like Jesus Christ. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a long time. Right? Like we were at Hornings, um, what day was that? Friday. And I just noticed, like they had in the one aisle, man, that place has the craziest things, first off. But I had, in this one aisle, they had those little capsules, right? Throw them in a uh, glass of water, and what happens? They turn into all sorts of different things. Did you ever see those things before? Someone has, right? Someone my age and younger, maybe. All right, go to Hornings and check it out. Um, but like instantly, right, as soon as the capsule dissolves, poof, whatever was like contained in that becomes what it, what it is to be. And we think in the Christian life, that's what it's like. You come to faith in Jesus, you read your Bible for a little bit and poof, you become mature in your Christian life. That's not the case at all. To become mature in your Christian life, growing in your faith, is a long process. It's a long process, but it's a spiritual process. And it's going to take the rest of your life as God conforms you into the image of his son. As a church, the elders have realized that we need to do a better job with making disciples here at our church. And we want to provide a more accessible platform for that to occur. And so over the next few months, we're going to be putting together a plan that will help make better followers of Jesus, more mature followers of Jesus. And really, what are we doing with that? Well, we found some good material that we're going to use as a a catalyst uh, to help people mature and grow in their faith. And we're going to introduce it in the men's huddle this fall. And so if you're a guy. Um, and and you're not a part of the huddle, I encourage you to be a part of it because we're going to take this year and walk through this material together because it's going to root us in the foundations of the faith. And the great thing about the the simplicity of this study is it's repeatable. And so what do we want to have happen? Well, the people that go through it then can share it with someone else. And it's repeatable. Disciples making disciples. Now our desire is to make this... this process repeatable and we also want to train up a generation of disciple makers here at our church people that have found life in Jesus are growing in their relationship with Jesus and want to help others grow in their relationship with Jesus and so if you're interested in being a part of that process using the same material I, I want to talk to you about it because we have some people that are interested in helping you become a person that can share what it means to make a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's essential we understand that Jesus wants us to become more like him. But I want you to notice something in this call that is rooted in Jesus's kingship. In verse, at the end of verse 20, this is what Jesus says. Hey guys, I'm going to tell you to do things that are going to shake your world up, right? I mean, can you imagine being these disciples in the upper room, huddled together and fearful? Jesus says, I'm going, you're going to get the spirit And this is what you're going to do. But what does he say to them at the very end of Matthew's gospel? And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Every time you meet someone that doesn't know Jesus and you have that burden inside of you to help them to find life in Jesus, And you get in the way of that and become afraid and think, I I, I don't know. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I have the words to say. I don't know if I'll mess it up. I don't know if they're going to like me after this. I don't want to come across as being too pushy. Whatever excuse we come up with, right? Here's what you need to know every time. Jesus is with you. He's with you. He's promised to be with you. And we know that. And we say, well, we know that Jesus Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us. Right, we get that. But here is what he's saying in connection with this mission that he gives us. I'm going to be with you always. Even to the end of the age. And here's the great thing. At the end of the age, what happens? He comes back. He comes back for us. So here's the thing. We can do it. Practically, we all know how to share good news. We proved it at the beginning of the sermon today. You were buzzing around here like crazy. Telling people all sorts of good news and memorable events. You know how to do it. And the gospel is beautifully simple. And you preach the gospel to yourself and you can share it. Theologically, we know that this good news is the best news ever. And so church, I'm asking you to be serious in prayer of how you can join God in this great work. We as a church family and we as individual Christians who are invited to join join with Him in making more followers of Jesus. And as we go, let's be ready to see how God will add to His household. Because that will happen. The gates of hell will not prevail against God's church. So let's pray.